Well, you all may have noticed out front uh, by the roadside a banner that went up recently, or you may have seen one of the slides that scrolled pre-service today, or perhaps in your bulletin, um, that during the season of Lent this year, we are using the theme of unrevealed until its season. That phrase comes from one of the hymns that is in our United Methodist hymn book, specifically Hymn of Promise. Um, And it's a wonderful hymn that speaks to the power of the resurrection, both that for which we wait and the signs of which we already see being revealed uh, in life now. Um, And it's the title of a devotional book by Reverend James Howell that we picked up on and decided to use as the focus for this season. And each week in the season, looking at a phrase that comes from uh, one of the hymns of our faith. You know, hymns are a vital expression of our faith. And at their best, as well as giving us the opportunity to sing um, with joy and with exultation, they also teach us good theology. They help us know what we need to know about who God is, about who Jesus is, about who the Holy Spirit is, and about who we are as the people of God. Theology matters. And so each week during the season, we'll be pulling one phrase from a well-loved, typically well-known hymn as a sermon prompt. This week, that prompt is Beautiful Savior. We sang it earlier today in the hymn, Fairest Lord Jesus. Now, I don't know about you all, but that's a hymn that... I remember singing a lot in my church growing up. Um, And so it's one that as I um, was participating in singing it this morning, I can still remember the bass line out of the hymnal without having to look at it in the hymnal. You know, it's just one of those that's woven deeply into my memory. Um, Beautiful Savior. The lyrics of the hymn, Fairest Lord Jesus, Uh, come to us from Germany from the late 17th century, and the tune was added to it or set with it in the mid-19th century. But this notion of a beautiful Savior uh, invites us to ask the question, well, who is this Savior? And what does Scripture have to say about him? Well, one place where we get a very significant picture of who he is is in the scripture passage that we turn our attention to this morning. This passage that comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians in the New Testament um, is by many theologians believed to have been one of the earliest, if not the earliest, hymn of the Christian church. And it was a way of speaking theology or singing theology and professing what it is that the early Christian community believed about this Savior, this person, Jesus, who we call Lord. So I invite you to follow along now as I read these few verses from the second chapter of Philippians. Though he was in the form of God, 
He did not consider being equal with God something to exploit, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and by becoming like human beings. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly honored him and gave him a name above all names, so that at the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth might bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God for the people of God, and God's people say, thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit, and breathe life into the words of this servant that they might carry a word from you into our hearts and lives this morning. Amen. Our daughter, Shelby, is currently in her third and final year of seminary at Duke Divinity School. And for her last semester, she decided that one of the experiences that she wanted to have before her time ended in seminary, was to do something called a clinical pastoral education unit, CPE for short, which most often happens in a hospital setting. It's a chaplaincy internship of sorts, so she is doing the work of a chaplain going into rooms where she is interacting uh, with patients and with their families and then having opportunity with others who are interning in the same way to process those experiences and reflect on um, how they are shaping her both as a person um, and also as a pastor or a chaplain. Well, one of the first weeks she was there back in January, they were having a gathering of all of these interns who were participating in this program, and they got a surprise visit from the CEO of the hospital. Um, These interns who will be there for only a matter of weeks or at best months, um, he thought it was important enough to stop by and to introduce himself, uh, to welcome them, to thank them for being there, and to make sure they knew that if they ever needed anything, they were welcome to, to call on him. A day or two later, Shelby was walking through one of the hallways of the hospital and noticed this man bending down and picking up some trash. And she recognized him as the CEO who had come in and introduced himself just a day or two earlier. <clears throat> and, and she wanted to say something, but she got a little flustered, and, and she had become aware in the meantime of a connection that he had with somebody that we knew. And so he went up, she went up and tried to say something to him and kind of fumbled through it, but, but it, in essence said, you know, my name is Shelby, and I'm participating in CPE, and you're the CEO, right? And he said, shh, don't tell anybody. You know, it's interesting that we often make assumptions about people or about what they will be like um, based on preconceived ideas, sometimes perhaps based on appearance or what they wear or where they hang out 
or what their particular role or position is within an organization. And then from time to time, we get surprised. We don't get what we anticipated. They don't fit the mold that we had in mind for them. Jesus grew up in a first century world in a context where there were some very particular ideas circulating about who Messiah would be and what a Messiah who came to bring salvation and redemption would look like and would act like. These ideas were, were crafted in such a way that, that they were on the lookout for a Messiah that would be one who among other things, would be a valiant warrior, would be strong and mighty and fearless in, con in conflict and in battle, one who would certainly champion the cause of Israel, and recognizing that they had been oppressed by their foes far too many times and for far too long, would lead the nation to victory over all its foes. And then Jesus comes along. And Jesus doesn't fit the mold. Jesus enters into his full-fledged ministry after coming out of the wilderness experience that Ben shared about last week, that passage of the temptations. And the way he begins to talk and the people he begins to hang out with and the things he begins to do don't match up with the mold that had been cast for the Messiah that so many were expecting. <clears throat> the truth is that the story of Jesus would not have been a box office hit in his day, or in our day for that matter. We tend to prefer heroes who have some swagger Champions with some attitude. And the image that we get throughout the Gospels and the one that Paul focuses our attention on today in the second chapter of Philippians by using the Christ hymn is a far cry from Rambo or Rocky. Emptied humbled, became obedient. These are the verbs that the early church used in its first expressions to confess the faith that they had in a Savior by the name of Jesus. This is the way they chose to describe the one who came as a beautiful savior. In Jesus, the human script gets flipped. Remember the story of creation, our earliest story of human existence and the story that begins to reveal to us the human condition, our tendencies apart from listening to who God calls us and desires us to be. Where Adam grasped 
to be like God, remember that was really his goal in taking the apple, was, was he wanted to be like God, to be divine, where Adam grasped for that God-like status. Jesus, in coming to be among us, empties himself, the Christ hymn tells us today. Where Adam sought to be more powerful, Jesus humbled himself. And where Adam was disobedient, the one thing, the one rule that was given, Adam is disobedient. Jesus is fully obedient all the way to his death. And even, as Paul makes sure to insert in the hymn today, even to the point of death on a cross. The kind of death, the kind of execution that was reserved for the worst of criminals and the lowest of society. It is precisely in Jesus' downward mobility, in his acts of lowering himself, emptying, humbling, becoming fully obedient and like a slave, the scripture tells us today, it is in those acts that then the hymn pivots and reminds us that here is where God finds him faithful. And therefore raises him up, literally from the grave, and to the highest place of authority. He is given the name Lord, which was a name of which emperors and other leaders of the time were quite fond of calling themselves and having their people call them, but a name which the people of Israel knew only rightfully belonged to God. And the Christ hymn asserts that God gives the name of Lord to this Jesus, the one who emptied, humbled, and became obedient. And that every knee would one day bow and tongue confess in his lordship. It's this idea that gets picked up in that final verse of Ferris Lord Jesus that we sang earlier today. Beautiful Savior, Lord of all the nations, Son of God and Son of Man. Singing into existence the theology that we hold even as we live in the already and not yet tension of Jesus' Lordship. The beauty of salvation that is ours through Christ is found in the paradox. Emptied, humbled, became obedient, therefore raised and exalted. But there's more. The image that is cast here in the Christ hymn and across the pages of Scripture in the New Testament is not only one that serves as the basis of our redemption, the source of our salvation, but also 
the one that is meant to be the pattern of our own behavior. Put another way, it is not enough for us who profess Jesus as Lord to simply sing Jesus paid it all and keep going around behaving like we did before we made that confession. It is meant to change everything. Emptied, humbled, became obedient are the verbs that are meant to sink their way down deep into our own hearts and lives and shape the kind of people that we are. We would do well to recite that triptych of verbs every morning, emptied, humbled, became obedient. Barbara Brown Taylor says, we are as free as Jesus to decide how we will spend our energy, how we will focus our efforts, how we will live our lives in response to the good news of who he is. And Paul says, not just here but in some other places as well, Paul says it starts with our minds. This is a theme that we see throughout his writings. Romans 12, in the second verse, urges us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we will not be conformed to the ways of the world. Philippians 4.8, a verse that many of you know is one of my favorites, a life verse for me says that if there is any excellence or if there is anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. And Colossians 3, the second verse says, to set our minds on things above, not on things below. And then here, as a preface to the Christ hymn, the verse that comes right before where we started the passage today, which is the reason that Paul quotes the Christ hymn, because he is pointing folks to Christ, both as Savior and also as pattern for us. That verse, the fifth verse says, let the same mind be in you, in us, the same mind that led Christ to empty himself, humble himself, become fully obedient. Let that same mind be in us. And you know, it's worth noting that that letter was written to a church, not to an individual. Yes, it is good and right and important for us to reflect on that in our own personal lives and it is also vitally important for us to think about what it means for us as the church. There is a communal aspect to Paul's message here that matters. How we behave as church matters. It's been quite a week, my friends. Some of you are aware that some leaders of 
a movement in our denomination that admittedly has experienced significant fracture and division in the past several decades. Some leaders of a particular movement to have churches exit our denomination have started going around holding meetings in some United Methodist Church buildings where only the people they want to be there are welcome. In fact, anyone who they suspect is not of the same mind on certain issues as they are, are not welcome and have been barred from entering those church buildings for those meetings. And if that weren't enough, they thought it was necessary to post armed guards at the door to keep them from going in. And I shake my head and think, how did we get here? There's a lot that goes into a full answer to that question. But one thing that has come to mind for me in the last few days as I think about that is something that Ben brought up last week. He shared about the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis, those imaginative letters that Uncle Screwtape writes to his nephew Wormwood about the, the work of, of meddling and getting involved in the lives of human beings so that they will keep themselves distant from God's real purposes for them. And one of the tactics is distraction. We have become so distracted within our denomination in past years. There are many who have become distracted from what it means for us to be one church that proclaims and professes one Lord and one faith and one baptism despite what our differences might be. And we have become distracted from keeping the main thing, the main thing. Distracted from making sure that the message people hear from us is that God loves them deeply, no matter who they are. And the most important thing we can do is to say to them, know that you are loved and respond to that love as you sense God leading you into that response. I'm so grateful for the gracious witness of this church, of this congregation, and so thankful that embedded in our vision as a church is to be a courageous witness for Christ and as a part of that witness to be welcoming all people, period. And I just want you to know that as long as Catherine and I are your co-senior pastors, the doors of this church will remain wide open to anybody who is trying to get in to see Jesus. Not only that, 
they're going to remain open to people who are skeptical about Jesus, who are uncertain about Jesus, who don't really know if they like Jesus or not. Because it is way above my pay grade to decide for Jesus who comes in the doors of the church or not, much less who Jesus is going to welcome into the kingdom. Our job, our job, my friends, is to love deeply and to get over ourselves. And the three verbs that we hear that resonate from this passage today can go a long way toward helping us do that. Yesterday, Catherine and I officiated a memorial service in the chapel for Jim Tumlinson. Some of you may remember Jim. He and his wife, Sue, um, were members here for many years. They left Gainesville for a number of years when they were at Penn State and had just returned recently, and Jim uh, died after an illness. Uh, But their daughters, Anne and Kat, both grew up here. In her reflections on... Her dad's life yesterday, and recalled a phrase that he would say at certain critical times in her life. And she remembered one particular time when she was a middle schooler and she was struggling to find her place. Boy, middle school is tough for that, isn't it? She was trying to find her people and her place and fit in. And she was telling her dad all about it. And he said, well, you know, Ann, sometimes you just got to get your mind right. The season of Lent is a good time to get our minds right. To remember who Jesus is, the beautiful Savior. And the path that he chose for himself that paved the way for that salvation. And to also remember that he told us to follow him. He didn't tell us to admire him. He told us to follow him. He said things like, don't choose the seat of honor for yourself. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. If anybody wants to come after me, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow. And then Paul, in drawing on this life that we see in Christ, says to the Philippians and to us, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ. The one who emptied, humbled, became obedient. Emptied, humbled, became obedient. 
emptied, humbled, became obedient. Amen.